Hi, everybody. I'm Karen Hartglass. You're listening to another episode of It's All About Food. We're coming to the end of 2023, and I thought it would be a good time to wrap up the year and also share some of our thoughts about life in this year, 2023. And there's no one else I would rather do that with than my favorite person, my partner in life and in real and in food, Gary DiMattei. Hey, Karen. Happy holidays. Yes. Let the airing of grievances begin. (laughs) Now, you know, you all know what that is, right? That's from an episode of Seinfeld where they they talked about Festivus for the rest of us. Does ah, anybody out there remember that? Barely. Okay, so I'll, I'll recap. Now, I didn't watch Seinfeld, but I remember people saying Happy Festivus or Merry Festivus for the rest of us. And I thought, okay, what's Festivus? And I looked it up and it was pretty hysterical. So it's it's worth a, a look up for those of you who are out there not sure if you want to celebrate the holidays. This is a really sort of fun way to do it. It's get yourself a Festivus pole. Now you have to search for an aluminum pole. It has to be aluminum because you want it to have very high strength to weight ratio. And this is a line from from Seinfeld. The character Frank Costanza says this. And decorations are distracting, so leave the pole in its plain and unadorned beauty. The second one is for all of you out there who are plant-based or vegan, it's prepare a Festivus dinner. Now you'll want to do a vegan meatloaf, but it it says here the key is a meatloaf to stay true to the Seinfeld episode. It should rest on top of a bed of lettuce to celebrate Festivus in the appropriate fashion. And number three, and this kind of is what we're going to do today, is air your grievances. At the beginning of the Festivus dinner, force all your guests to listen to all the times they've disappointed you this year. It's <laughs> oh, a really I don't know if we could do that in one hour, Gary. <laughs> it's a really healthy ritual. <laughs> <laughs> Number four is join in the feats of strength. As the host, you'll want to test your strengths and wrestle one of your guests. After all, the two of you did just enjoy a very protein-filled dinner. And we'll talk more about protein on the show, I'm sure, because that's one of my grievances. And as recently as an event we went to the other day, someone said, you know, I got to have protein. So that's why I eat meat. And I just wanted it to go, oh, let's wrestle right now. No, you bit into your cookie instead. (laughs) Festivus is not considered over until the host is pinned to the floor. (laughs) A guest can only decline the challenge if he or she or they has something more important to do, such as working a double shift. (laughs) And we'll talk about working on the holidays and how we want all of those folks that have to work through the holidays to get really big tips and lots of money. And number five, finally, call all slightly non-routine events Festivus Miracles. For example, you carried all your groceries into the house in one trip. That's a Festivus Miracle. You took the subway and for the first time it didn't smell. It's a Festivus Miracle. (laughs) You ran into your friend you've been meaning to call at a local coffee shop. It's a Festivus Miracle. 
All these are excellent examples of Festivus miracles. And be sure to exclaim loudly and proudly, just like I did, when you realize it is such a Festivus miracle. Anyway, I love that. I, I had no memory of, of any of this. And I think <laughs> we should start right now with Festivus. Well, I mean, it's just another holiday to add to the mix of Kwanzaa and Christmas and Hanukkah. And am I leaving anything else out? Festivus. Oh, and, you know, if you are into spreading your body with woad and honoring the winter solstice that way, there's a lot of things you can do. Maybe, you know, you would rather just go to a forest of pine trees instead of chopping them down and hug them, which I think is really a cool idea. But anyway, it's great to be back on your show, your award-winning podcast. It's all about food was one of the best vegan podcasts in the USA Today, 10 Best, just out, what, a month ago? I think it came out in September, And you're a few months awesome. ago, but we're grateful yeah. for it. And thanks for bringing it up because that was one of the highlights for us in 2023. That was it. And your podcast- celebrated celebrate it enough. That and your podcast that you launched in French. Parlez, oui, parle, yes. How do you say it? Parle pou, parle bien, <laughs> parle vegan. Parle un peu, parle bien. Parlons vegan. Yeah, that was pretty good, Gary. Parlons peu. Yeah. It means let's talk a little, let's talk well, let's talk vegan. It's a spin that. on a French phrase. And you're doing that with Celine Frey, right? In France. Yes, yes. We're getting a slow start, but a, a sure start. It's and so cool. I think this year we spent on creating some resources because there are things that people always ask about. So we created episodes on macronutrients and on vitamins, the things we need, the things we don't need, the things that people say that you're going to lack when you're venturing out on a vegan diet. And our last episode that we're just finishing up is on COVID-19 and how a healthy plant diet can help in terms of minimizing the symptoms. It doesn't prevent COVID. Nothing prevents COVID other than leaving the planet. (laughs) And you'll probably get COVID on the the rocket ship that you're leaving the planet on. <laughs> yeah. Because somebody driving that boat will have probably have had COVID. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I'm really great that we started it. In the next year, we'll start promoting it because I haven't promoted it at all. We've just wanted to create this background first. And then we'll start having some kind of lively conversations, which I'm really looking forward to. And there's a lot of other highlights. We sent out a newsletter here at Responsible Eating and Living. So if you have not received it, let us know, and we'd love to send you copy. A digital your, copy, right? A digital copy in your inbox, and it highlights a lot of the wonderful things we've been up to. And, and the uh, people that we've been talking to all year long and the wonderful work that they're doing, which is something that we like to do at Responsible Eating and Living, and that's what It's All About Food focuses on primarily We feature different authors and experts talking about their work. But sometimes we just have a need to express our own opinions. And Gary and I have opinions. So today, I just want to air my grievances with Gary based on life on this planet, this insane planet that I've been talking about a lot lately, that planet is insane. The things we do are insane. And we try and bring a little sanity, a little sense, a little joy, some delicious food, and our perspective. That's what we're going to do, right? That's it. That's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about some fun things, and we're going to talk about some 
really groundbreaking things. Uh, some things that have returned that we think are really cool. And let's get started. Let's get started with a movie review. Yeah. So we've seen some movies recently. And the one I want to start with is from 2000, 23 years ago, Chicken Run. And why am I bringing it up? Because the sequel has just come out 23 years later. So we're going to talk about Chicken Run and the sequel, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Right. So we had never heard of these films, or at least I'd never heard of these films until I saw it advertised on Netflix. But you know what, Gary? Chicken Run came out in 2000 before you were vegan. Exactly. Stop animation is an incredible art form. It's rapidly becoming extinct. There are just a few artists left that do it and do it well. And these folks are some of the best in the field of stop animation. I just thoroughly am blown away every time I watch one of their films. And now with the dawning of AI crushing everyone's artistic integrity, this is something that is done artfully and incredibly well. And it was released in 2000 to critical acclaim, Chicken Run. And it was, a, oddly enough, Artistic success, but really, really big commercial success, right? Grossing over $220 million, becoming the highest grossing stop motion animated film in history and DreamWorks Animation's biggest success until Shrek in 2001 doubled it in terms of an animated film. But Chicken Run still holds at stop motion at number one. So this is a really a fun film. If you haven't seen it, watch it first before you watch the sequel. It's really cool. Now, why are we talking about Chicken Run? And I'm really surprised that, uh, am I really surprised? Well, we didn't hear a lot about it. And it, it really is a vegan message. It has a an animal rights message. We're not going to give you any spoilers, but basically it's about a small chicken farm where chickens are laying eggs and they're there for their eggs. And when they stop laying enough eggs, they get slaughtered. It's from the chicken's point of view. We're getting the point of view from the chickens and it's done in a, a very clever way. And it kind of mimics a little bit of films like The Great Escape and Stalag 17, where they're kept in these egg laying houses and there's fence around them. And the accommodations are a lot better than the accommodations in reality of egg laying hens. But it's tongue in cheek in that respect where the humans are essentially the Nazis that are running the, the concentration camp that all of these hens are in laying eggs. And their job, the hens feel their job is to try and escape, which is also what a prisoner of war's job is. Their um, objective, once they're prisoners, is to try and escape at no matter what cost. And so and these, one are, the these are animated characters, and right. yet you feel their fear and they don't want to be killed when they run out of laying eggs. They don't want to die that way. I felt for these these characters, even though it was an animated feature. Yes. And so the chicken run Dawn of the Nugget, 23 years later, is obviously a little more mechanized the way that they treat chickens. They put the bands, the numbers around their necks, and we won't go into any further details because we don't want to spoil it for you. But they're incredible and they're voiced by some amazing actors. And we really highly put that on our holiday viewing list for you. Again, it's it's fantasy 
And the the industrial farm that you see in this feature, Dawn of the Nugget, is pure fantasy. But there are things in it that resemble what really happens in a factory farm, in an industrial farm. And of course, reality is far worse in terms of what we see in the cartoon. But the point is clear. And let's talk about the nugget for a, a moment, which clearly is what Dawn of the Nugget is all about. They're talking about the chicken nugget, the chicken nugget that feeds millions and millions of people every year, and it kills billions and billions of birds and grinds them up and makes this meal. And one of the things that I don't think the film goes deep enough into is just how incredibly easy it would be not to eat a chicken nugget, especially today, where you could eat a, a nugget that tastes like a chicken nugget, yep. but is made from plants. And I would have really liked to have seen more on that. That's my only criticism of the film, is to give people an alternative to the nugget, because... I know we're not going to stop people from eating deep fried foods, right? I mean, we're going to mm -hmm. try. And one of the, the biggest sellers is the chicken nuggets with all the different dipping sauces. And that's really what the film shows too, is that there's this incredible sauce that makes the chicken nugget really what it is. And a lot of restaurants have seven or eight different sauces. And that's what a lot of people are really into. You know, you grab a box of nuggets and you dip it into the sauce and there you have it. But you can do that now so easily without killing a chicken in the process, without having the chicken be involved. You can remove the chicken and you can still get the nugget that tastes just like chicken. Yeah, it's um, true. The film itself, I felt with the Dawn of the Nugget film, it, it was a little emptier than the first film. Yeah, the first one was a little more hard hitting. And this one, I think they're getting nervous over at Netflix or whoever did this film or DreamWorks. Yeah, let's talk about that in a minute, where they right. were a little more careful about the story. I forgot to mention, but the New York Times had a review of Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget, and it angered me so much. Just the first paragraph where the author was basically saying that they grew up with chickens and that chickens were really dumb. Yeah. In the name of Dr. Karen Davis, who recently passed and founded the United Poultry Concerns, we know that chickens are intelligent and they are kind and compassionate when treated well and when treated as chickens are supposed to be in their own environment, their own habitat, being able to live the way they're supposed to live in nature. Yeah, and they get to do that in the movie, which is really cool. They have their own, well, I don't want to say too much, but this is the movie that was out in 2000, but they have their own little island and it's really cool. And for the for the sequel, they leave the island to go save Some other chickens. Yeah, yeah, yeah so... It's really cool. And yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned Karen, Dr. Karen Davis and how we just lost. That was a great loss, a huge loss for all of us. But she has and, an organization that goes on and they're they're going to continue doing wonderful things. Right. I just want to say one more thing about Chicken Run with respect to the New York Times review you were talking about. That yeah. review, that review really angered me. And that's <laughs> me all too. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. It was just it was just uh, it just angered me because it- It never it, mentioned what needed to be said, that this it never, was- it never, it never mentioned the plant-based aspect of, of of nuggets that are out there. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people prefer plant-based nuggets to chicken nuggets, and they never even talked about it. They never, they never even went there. And mm -hmm. that, that really- And you know it's me. intentional, yeah. and that's annoying. That, that was one of my grievances. 
Oh. So I'm, a- I'm airing my grievance right now with them. <laughs> it's a Festivus oh. miracle. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's um, that's a good segue for the next film that we can't tell you too much about because it isn't hasn't been released yet. And one of the reasons it hasn't been released is because they were originally going to be released through Netflix, but they had a disagreement, an artistic disagreement or a content disagreement. And so they pulled the film. They bought back the film. They bought back the film from Netflix and are now doing it on their own. And of course, we're talking about the filmmakers, Kip Anderson and Cameron Waters. And the film is Christspiracy. Now, you're familiar with Kip Anderson's other films. He was the co-creator, co-director of a few other films, What the Health, Cowspiracy, and Seaspiracy, all of them wonderful. And now they're coming out with Christspiracy. We got to see it, and I highly recommend seeing it and supporting it. So you can go to Christspiracy.com. We'll include the link in this podcast. But basically, Christspiracy, I'm reading this from their website because I want to be safe. I don't want to give any more information than we can't give since it hasn't been released yet. Christspiracy is an investigative documentary following daring filmmakers Kip Anderson and Cameron Waters as they expose how religious leaders are turning a blind eye to animal exploitation, despite compassion being the one core principle in all world religions. This is true. And they they hit on all the religions. Nobody gets a break here. Yeah. And these are the award-winning filmmakers, as Karen pointed out, What the Health, Calspiracy, and Seaspiracy. Although I don't believe Cameron is one of the No, just Kip Anderson. Cameron Waters is new. Right. I just wanted to clear that up. Cameron Waters is new for this film. And Kip had another partner on What the Health and Cowspiracy. And Karen has interviewed the other partner. And his name is... Keegan Coon. Keegan Coon. And Keegan Coon has his own film company. And he was the executive producer of Slay. And we also right. talked about that film right. on this program. Yeah, so Christspiracy, again, from the website, the spirituality secret reveals the biggest cover-up in 2,000 years, and it will change the way you think about faith, ethics, and our relationship with animals forever. And I have to really agree with that. It changed It changed the way I feel about everything overnight. One of the things that Kip Anderson does, and Keegan Kuhn as well, and when they work together and and in their own films is they take information that is already in the public, like in what the hell. Right. It's already out there. It's already out there. But what they do is they take a personal story and they weave all of this information through the personal story, which makes it compelling to follow. But I think what they do that's new or unique is they connect a lot of dots and that makes it so powerful. Yes, very powerful. And as Karen mentioned, you can go to the website and read more about what's what's going on with the film and see a great trailer for the film. And if you want, you can support the film. And we know that it would really get this thing shown in a lot of theaters, because I think that's their objective is to have yeah. it shown in quite a few theaters. And then obviously on some streaming platform somewhere. Some kind of pay it forward platform or something. I don't know, but you're not with Netflix anymore. So there's got to be another way to get the word out for this film. I think there are other films are still with Netflix, but this particular one isn't going to be 
um, yeah. distributed through Netflix. But I think right. you can still see What the Health, Cowspiracy, and Seaspiracy on Netflix. And those yes. are all great watches too. So that's Christspiracy. And it's supposed to come out in March of 2024 and go to the website. And Karen said she's going to put the link in this podcast card. I want to move on to some articles for example, in the New York Times, sticking with the New York Times, which we read and we don't love everything that they do. They do some good investigative reporting, but there's still a little light on things related to animals and the exploitation of animals. So they have an article this holiday, consider the true cost of cheap cashmere. And mm. they talk about cashmere and how the quality of cashmere is going down and, and it's being made more cheaply. And it's all happening in the grasslands of Mongolia, where cashmere goats predominate, and they are destroying or degrading the environment. And there are some efforts underway to make sustainable production practices, and there are a number of different foundations that want to begin certification programs for farms producing cashmere. And you know what? I know where that's going to go. It's going to go just like where the certification programs are for seafood, which we know right. from Seaspiracy are a joke because you right. can pay off anybody to get a certification. Yeah. The whole dolphin safe tuna thing, right? If you're going to exploit animals for anything, there's going to be pain and suffering for the animals. There's going to be environmental degradation and certifications are a joke. Okay, but they talk about how the certification organizations are doing their thing and trying to make these cashmere fibers sustainably, blah, blah, blah. I'm airing my grievances here. What is cashmere though? It's a very soft fiber from goats. It's the like wool from a goat. Consider the true cost of cheap cashmere is, is what the New York Times article states. So are we talking about cheap cashmere now and as opposed to expensive cashmere? Yes. Well, there's less and less expensive cashmere and there's the price is coming down because they're growing more goats ah, and, they're, and it's destroying the environment and the quality is going down because the goats don't get to feed and don't get the care that they require. Cashmere wool, simply known as cashmere, is a fiber obtained from cashmere goats, pashmina goats, and some other breeds of goats. In my mind, wool means sheep, but wool can also mean goat and not just yes. sheep. Okay. It's so the definition of wool is mm -hmm. the dense, soft, often curly hair formed from the coat of sheep and certain other mammals such as goat, and alpaca. You've heard of alpaca wool. Of course. Okay, great. See, I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. So usually if it isn't sheep wool, there's a word in front of it like cashmere or cashmere wool or alpaca wool. And they're all terrible and they're all <laughs> exploitive. And they're all in everything. I mean, wool is in everything. It's and in so many of the Christmas sweaters that folks wear, the ugly sweaters yes. and the and you know the heavy winter wear, the heavy winter suits and things. It and you just don't realize until you become a a vegan and you 
become an ethical vegan and you you read the labels to find out that a lot of the clothing has animal products in it. So this is a really for any any folks out there who are are considering taking the ethical stand in 2024, read the labels, especially on food. But in addition to that, read them on your clothing because you'll see that a lot of the clothes that you wear have animal products in them. One of the things we're discussing right now is a New York Times article this holiday, consider the true cost of cheap cashmere. And cheap cashmere comes from goats. I want to add, because we were talking about sheep's wool, many of you know that sheep are grown in Australia primarily for their wool, and they are destroying the environment in Australia. They're not native to the area, and it's been well-documented about how the environment is degrading because of them. And then, of course, there's the part where a lot of them get shipped over to the Middle East where they're slaughtered for their meat, and that's another disaster traveling in these boats in order to arrive and be freshly slaughtered for their meat. Animals are exploited, and anytime they're exploited for profit, there's going to be pain and suffering and environmental degradation. But the article ends in a way that it shouldn't. The author says, my view is this, from an environmental perspective, the best solution is to forego cashmere altogether, wool from sheep yaks, or camels can still be made into very soft fabrics. These animals can also produce much more fiber a year than cashmere goats without causing the same level of ecological damage. Do or consider vintage cashmere. The production of sheep for wool causes significant environmental damage. This author did not do their research. So I'm saying, should we get Kip Anderson or Keegan Kuhn to get a new documentary called Sweater Spiracy. Ah, sweater Spiracy. I like it, Karen. <laughs> sweater yes. Spiracy. Yeah. So we buy cotton sweaters. And there, there are a lot of nice cotton sweaters out there. Some of them can be heavy and warm. And the, the trick about warmth in cold weather is layering. Yeah, lots of layers. Or just be cold. <laughs> but yes. I like that sweater spiracy. It's just good. Sweater spiracy coming soon. Yes. Now we're talking about something you read on Vox.com, right? That you'd like to air your grievance with that. The title is, We Raise 18 Billion Animals a Year to Die, and Then We Don't Even Eat Them. From farm to plate, one in four animals raised on factory farms are wasted. Mm. All right, it's bad enough that we raise these animals, we torture them, exploit them for a momentary bite on our plate, but some of them live this horrific life and they don't even get eaten. Right. And not only is it cruel, but it's devastating to the environment. But the article is, it's a great article, but it cites a study that was done. And that was to quantify the meat loss and waste and also acknowledge its substantial environmental impacts and the aspect of animal welfare that largely remains 
unaddressed. And they talk about the suffering and death that is inflicted on animals to produce food that is never eaten and how it remains invisible. So the study abstract, the, the study abstract says it aims to bridge the gap between food loss and waste, accounting literature and animal welfare considerations. And it achieves this by estimating the number of animal lives embodied in meat loss and waste of six major meat producing species along the food supply chain, and then by modeling three potential reduction scenarios. And it shows that approximately 18 billion animal lives were embodied in losses and waste of global meat production and consumption in 2019. And the article, the study also says that the lost animal lives could be reduced by 7.9 billion if best regional efficiencies were mainstreamed and by 4.2 or 8.8 billion if sustainable development goal 12.3 was implemented, achieving a 50% loss in waste reduction in the downstream or whole supply chain, respectively. So it's a great study. I want people to go vegan and not eat animals at all, but if we're going to raise animals for food, can we at least not waste them? Airing my grievances. It's a Festivus miracle. <laughs> it's just so such such a worthy grievance karen for festivus and i i applaud that grievance it's a great grievance <laughs> i got one more grievance i got All right, let's one... hear it come on let's I hear got... it i got one more raspberry seed in my wisdom tooth yes except i don't have wisdom teeth anymore they all got pulled there's an article also in the New York Times called Got Time for Milk, an Overwhelmed House Some Somehow Does. With aid to Ukraine and Israel in limbo, a border deal elusive and a mountain of spending legislation left undone, the House turns its attention to whole milk in schools. The insanity wow. continues. Okay, so you know that in our school lunch programs, milk is required. And in order for schools to get reimbursed or get so some sort of subsidy for every children that they're feeding, they have to serve them milk. Some children who cannot drink milk have to get a note from their doctor that they can't drink milk. But milk has always been this revered, wonderful liquid to feed everybody. We know how terrible it is. But back in the Obama era, Michelle, who was trying to improve the availability of food and try and, and improve the knowledge of food, they banned whole milk because we saw this rise in obesity in children. And whole milk contains much more saturated fat than skim milk or no fat milk. So they stopped serving whole milk in schools. Our Republican leading Congress was able to, to reverse this and bring whole milk back to America's school cafeterias. And we have a number of representatives. Representative Lloyd K. Smucker, Republican of Pennsylvania, says, I urge my colleagues to support this bipartisan, bicameral, and utterly 
Fantastic, Bill. Let's not skim over the facts here. Whole milk is truly the cream of the crop in delivering these key vitamins and nutrients to growing children. There was another representative quote quoted, Ms. Fox, the nutrients in whole milk like protein, calcium, and vitamin D provide the fuel Santa needs to travel the whole globe in one night. Whole milk is the unsung hero of his Christmas journey. If whole milk is a good option to fuel Santa's extraordinarily extraordinary Christmas Eve journey, then why isn't it an option for American school children in their lunchrooms? Now, I don't know that using Santa Claus as a reason to offer whole milk for children if it's good enough for Santa. First of all, Santa isn't real. And I hope Ms. Fox knows that. Santa is also obese and not someone that we want to use as a model for good nutrition in our children. The insanity continues. We yes. did have Robert C. Scott of Virginia, the top Democrat on the education panel, argued that whole milk was less healthy than lower fat alternatives. He said whole milk contains far more saturated fat, cholesterol, and calories than fat-free and low-fat milk. And Troy Carter, Democrat of Louisiana, said soy gives the equivalent of, of the nutritional values as whole milk. But Ms. Fox, who relies on Santa as her nutritional guru, I guess, <laughs> said that there's no issue with dairy alternatives in school. Just don't call it milk. We're not excluding soy drink, Ms. Fox declared. It's not milk. It's a plant-based food. It isn't milk. So you can't call it soy milk. You can call it so I drink. The whole article is insane. Our House of Representatives has gone totally dysfunctional and insane. And there you have it on milk. Just unbelievable, isn't it? So where can you go to get away from it all? <laughs> where can you go? If you know, let us know, because we've been asking that question for quite some time. Where can you go to get away from the insanity? <laughs> a cookie party. That's where you can go. Oh. And that's where we went. We went to a vegan cookie swap and it was really fun because everybody there brought vegan cookies and we all got to taste them. And if you don't like the word vegan, you can say plant-based cookies, but none of the cookies were made with eggs. None of the cookies were made with dairy but they were all delicious and they were not dry. A lot of people, as soon as they eat a vegan <laughs> cookie or a vegan muffin or something, they always look at you and say, it's dry. It's very dry, but I like it. <laughs> That's very and, true. And, I want to uh, compare it to another party we went to where people brought store-bought cookies to add mm -hmm. to the festivities. So they brought all these junky cookies with all kinds of weird ingredients. Of course, they weren't vegan. But the ones at this vegan cookie party were all homemade. Thank you, everyone. And we were all required to write the ingredients because we're sensitive to the public. And so many children today have allergies to numerous different food ingredients, especially nuts. And, and milk. And, and dairy, yep. It's crazy. So it was like a safe place, a happy place to be for a short amount of time and to enjoy 
different cookies. We could all swap cookies. Yeah, and they're lots of fun and people get a chance. And there were some people there who weren't plant-based, who weren't vegan, but their partners were or their spouses were. And so that was fun talking to them and trying to guess how long the marriage would last. <laughs> no, but it is difficult if your partner is a meat eater and you are not, right? And Yes, it's an extra challenge on top of all it's the other challenging. challenges. And if you're raising children together, wow, that can really be a challenge. So yep. my heart goes out to all of them and I hope it works. And it looked like this couple in particular, that it would work because they were very supportive and very, very much in love with one another. Yes. And so my question the, was, well, if you love her, then why don't you go vegan? Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why you're so wonderful. Uh, one of the reasons uh, why you're so wonderful. One of the reasons why you're so wonderful. So I just want to take a moment and talk about the two cookies that we made and brought to the party. Right. And we've talked about these cookies before, but it, it's the end of the year, so we have to talk about them again. Exactly. So one is our biscotti recipe, which you could find at responsibleeatingandliving.com. I've made these many different ways, too, over the years. But the recipe is up there on our website, and it's a gluten-free recipe. And you probably know, I haven't talked about this in a long time, but... I went through my own little insanity with making gluten-free flours, and I've come up with a mix that I like, which is organic, made from whole foods, has no starches or gums, and it's just made from garbanzo bean flour, millet, and oat. I grind them all up and make my own flour. Now, sometimes it can be a little gritty if I don't grind them enough, but I like it as a flour, and I used it in the biscotti. We had fun this time because we dipped the biscotti in melted dark chocolate and melted white chocolate, which we get from Pasha, Pasha chocolate, which is free of everything. <laughs> right. right, except except it's kind of pricey, so it's not it's not free of cost. There is a cost. There is a cost, it's, but it's worth it because yeah, you're worth it. It's free of the allergens that people can have. Right. So it's a, a a brand we like and it's organic. So we had the biscotti and this time I made little mini biscotti. So it was easier for people to grab a little one because when you're at a party, you want to taste everything. But, you know, when you eat like two or three big cookies, it's it's enough and it's hard to taste anymore. Yes, but they and are then, so good. Yeah, they are so delicious. The other cookie we made was the kuchidati, and it was fun because most people didn't know what a kuchidati was. I never knew what a kuchidati was until Gary mentioned that the Italians in his family made kuchidati for Christmas. Not my family. We didn't do kuchidatis. We did a lot of cookies, but my mom made a lot of cookies, but she never made kuchidatis. The Kuchidatis would come over from all of the other neighboring families and relatives, and they all made them. They're really good. They're really good. And Karen nailed it, but she also did it gluten-free. And of course, I've, I never had a gluten-free cookie when I was growing up. Not that I know of anyway, but I did have many Kuchidatis from many different families. 
that would bring them over on a little paper plate that was, you know, decorative and it had a saran wrap covering or a plastic wrap covering. And they would always be the last things to go at the holidays in my house because no one really liked them. Maybe my dad liked them and they were great for dipping. But the the longer they sat, the better they were for some strange reason, the harder they were. They got really hard. And so they were really fun to dip in in hot beverages for for my my dad. And so he really loved them. But I, I really didn't care for them until I ate Karen's. And I'm telling you, this recipe is delicious and it's gluten-free and it's it's absolutely brilliant. It's really, really good. It's kind of fun to make. The instructions are on our website, but I do want to underline that not all flours are the same. So when people bake, I think some people understand that oven temperatures can be different if you're at different altitudes, for example. But there are other things to consider. And if the flour is very fresh, it won't require as much liquid. And if it's older, it gets drier and requires more liquid. So there's there's a range of liquid. So for example, I made this recipe that I made a number of times before and my dough was very, very wet. I had right. to add more flour to it until I got a sticky dough. I like it a little sticky, but it you have to be able to pick it up and knead it. And there had to be enough flour in it to do that. So there's a certain amount of flexibility. I mentioned that in the recipe. If it's too moist, add more flour. If it's too crumbly, add a little water. You want to get a dough that's pliable and just a little sticky, but not too much. And then because it's sticky, I use a little oil on my hands when I pick it up and when I roll it in order to make, I, I roll it out and then cut it into a nice little rectangle. And then I roll the filling, which is made from figs, dates, and raisins, almonds, and pecans. You roll that, and then you roll the dough around it. There are some nice pictures on the website if you ever want to take the time and get to know a cucciadotti. Yeah, a cucciadotti, it's, it's, it's like a fig newton. That's when everybody asks me, whenever anybody asks me, what's a cucciadotti? It's like a fig newton with frosting. And then they put little candied sprinkles. Now the candied sprinkles can be toxic. So we went searching for candied sprinkles because a lot of folks use crazy dye in their holiday oh, the sprinkles. the artificial colors and dyes, yeah. Yeah, and Karen found candy. Let's do organic. Let's do organic candied sprinkles. And they're a little more pastel-y than the really shocking colors. But I think it's 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 a lovely cookie and get the candied sprinkles that aren't going to kill you. Right. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> yeah. And this year, Karen, you read a lot of really amazing books and you interviewed the authors. And I'd like to shout out a few of those, which okay. are also in our newsletter. The Humane Hoax. Tell us a little bit about Hope Bohannik. Yeah, she's a great activist, and her book contains chapters from other authors as well as her own. And it's the continuing story, part of the battle that we have trying to get people to eat plants and get off the animal. There's no humane way 
I'll say it again. There is no humane way. If you're assuming the definition of humane <laughs> means without pain and suffering, with kindness and compassion, there's no humane way to raise animals. If you're going to kill them for food, if you're going to slaughter them, slaughtering is not humane. No animal wants to die to become a morsel on your plate. And this includes dairy cows and the dairy cow scenario. There is no such thing as humane dairy. I am sorry. If it's organic, it doesn't mean it's humane. And you read all about this in Hope's book. There are different chapters on all of the myths on how we can exploit animals humanely. We cannot. And there's a, a picture of a hen on the cover, a chicken. So keeping with our chicken run theme today, Hope's book supports that as well. Uh, Plant-Powered Protein was another book you read oh. by Vesanto Molina. Tell us a little bit about that one. And of course, all of these books we're talking about, you can hear the podcast with the author uh, at Responsible Eating and Living. They are archived on our website. Plant-Powered Protein is a brilliant book. It was co-authored by Vesanto Molina, who we love, and Brenda Davis, and Brenda Davis's son. Brenda Davis's son, Corey Davis, added an environmental aspect to the book. Brenda and Vesanto are both dietitians extraordinaire. Yeah, I had I had the pleasure of meeting Vesanto and having dinner with her. Uh, what was it? A couple of months ago. And yeah, was, we went to a Nixie. What an incredible human being. And yeah. that was really a lot of fun. And we obviously went with her. Yeah, her husband, Cam. We also went with her husband, Cam, and it was a pleasure meeting them both. And thank you for bringing them into my life because they're now friends of mine. So tell us about the book. It's all the latest research on protein. And the bottom line is plant protein is superior to animal protein for human consumption. See, I said we'd talk a little bit more about protein, and <laughs> we are. And yeah, so people who say, you know, I'm an athlete, and I do a lot of sports, and I need to eat fish, blah, 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 they need to read <laughs> this book. I love that. I mean, as recently as the other day, we were at a party, and someone said that magic word that they need their protein. That's why they eat meat. I eat fish because I need my protein or something like that. And I just, I just, you know, I, I've never bit my tongue so hard, but I just smiled and said, uh -huh, okay. Yeah. And, and of course, Karen, she was a little more forward and, and said, well, all plant foods contain protein. And he was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know, but I still need. So basically it was, Another... I was biting my tongue too, Gary. You no, should I, have been for you. proud of me because it wasn't you, the moment to preach. No, and that was a Festivus miracle that you didn't <laughs> that you didn't preach. So uh, I shouted it out, Festivus miracle. All right, the next book that you read and interviewed the author for was the Veganic Grower's Handbook by Jimmy. Is it Videli or Videl? Videl, yeah. That's a good book. Yeah. Yeah. What's, so what, what people what people need to understand, and we need to do more of this, is that we do not need animal inputs to grow plants. Now, it's believed and understood 
that manure, which is animal excrement, is necessary to enrich the soil to grow food. And it's true that nature has this beautiful way of recycling, recycling excrement, recycling rotting carbon-based things like food and plants and turning it into nutritious soil, enriched soil that we can put on our plants and grow plants. Again, it's a beautiful thing for the cycle of nature, but we don't need manure. We don't need animal inputs. And there are people doing veganic gardening, veganic farming, and Jimmy is one of them. And he wrote this great little handbook. He's a delight to listen to. He offers courses and it's a great book. And nowadays it's important because, well, there's probably more animal manure creating mountains in certain states. And this manure is toxic. And they can't spread it fast enough on our farmlands because there's so much of it. But because these animals are fed foods with biocides, which are pesticides and herbicides, they're so toxic. And the manure is toxic and the fertilizers are toxic and the toxic goes into the soil. It's just insane. It's And it's killing not only us, but it's killing the soil, which will increase in killing us because if we can't grow food then we can't you know and 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 not even from a plant-based perspective for but from any perspective if you can't grow food for whatever reason you're no longer going to be around so it's a great way to look at veganic growing i enjoyed it yeah uh one more and there's so many others but i'll 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 shout out one more ed and natasha tatton's bread Spelled oh, yeah. B-R-E-D. Now I'm crazy about this book. It's an it's such a gorgeous cookbook. Tell us about Ed and Natasha Tatton and their not only their their cookbook, but also their their restaurant and their philosophy and who they are. And absolutely. So I raved on this podcast. If you haven't listened to it, I just go nuts because there are so many cookbooks out there and so many vegan cookbooks, and that's a good thing. But a lot of the vegan cookbooks. There's nothing special about them. The recipes are okay, but there's no craft. There's no skill. There's no art. And this book really is full of craft and skill in making sourdough bread and other recipes. And they do it all in their restaurant called Bread, also B-R-E-D. And and where is it located? Because I want to go there tomorrow. Yeah, it's in Whistler, British Columbia. I'm going to go there tomorrow and try everything. (laughs) Well, when I told the Santo Molina, who's from that area that we wanted to visit there, she said, yes, come and visit and come and see us. So we have two reasons to go to British Columbia. Very cool. That's that's definitely at the top of my list for 2024, because this cookbook is gorgeous. And just you were talking about flowers and how inconsistent they are and what he does to remedy that because Ed and Natasha also talk about this. Uh, they use digital scale and they transfer everything into weight instead of measure. So, which is yeah, a that's another part that's important. Yeah. Weight in a recipe is more consistent 
because as he points out, and I learned this in baking school and cooking school is that baking is a science. Whereas in cooking, you can kind of, you can say, I'll throw a little more salt in, or I'll put less salt in, or let's add a little more of this or a little more of that. And you can, you can kind of improvise with, with, especially with this sourdough bread that he, he makes the, the starters and things that it has to be an exact science and you have to really uh, understand the chemistry of it all. And one of the ways he says to, to get more consistency in your bread is to weigh it, not use a measuring cup because it can fluctuate. So a little shout out to a digital scale. If you're looking for a last minute Festivus gift, oh wait, you can't give gifts at Festivus. <laughs> Festivus. No gifts, no commercialism. But if you're looking for a nice gift for your friends, um, a digital scale, if they like to bake. Yeah, is, or is, if they like to bake this book, Bread, B-R-E-D. It's a great yeah, book. Get them this book or listen to the podcast. Let them know about the podcast. There's a lot of other great things, great podcasts this year, 2023. Gary, I want to wrap up this wrap up. <laughs> but just the last one I want to shout out to is Roy okay. Ortega. Roy Ortega and the Mad Cookie Inn. He sent us some cookies to sample and you interviewed him and check out that interview too. And thanks for the cookies, Roy. Yeah, thanks for the cookies. I just want to wrap this up and say it's been a very interesting year and there's still plenty of darkness, but we balance out the darkness with plenty of wonderful vegan cookies, right? Right, right. It's all <laughs> about the cookies. That balances cookies. out the darkness. Once a year. No, seriously, though, there's a lot of good being done. I mean, I know she doesn't need any more shout outs, but if you really want to know where the next generation of plant-based activists are, it's Billie Eilish. Check out all of the good work she's doing to promote and make vegans. I mean, there's a there's a ton of stuff. I mean, she... She partnered with Nike to create vegan shoes. She turned London's O2 Arena vegan. She speaks up for companion animals. She convinced Oscar de la Renta to ditch fur. She took to Capitol Hill, talking about Congress, to support a federal vegan school lunch program. Um, she's just, you know, the next generation. And she's opening a vegan restaurant in Los Angeles she donates a lot of money to vegan causes. Anyway, yeah, it's a big shout awesome. out. What is she made of? She's made of lots of good plant-based stuff. Right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, great talking to you, Karen. Happy holidays. You are a festivist miracle. Oh, thank you, Gary. Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks for listening. Visit responsibleeatingandliving.com. Check us out over there. You can always send a comment to info at realmeals.org. Love to hear from you. Even if it's just like a happy holidays, you can do yeah. that, right? <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope to have you back in 2024. And Karen, have a, have delicious, a delicious week. week. <laughs>